Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 31 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 13th of December 2009, entitled The Truth About Satan, Part 1. And the Bible readings are taken from Jude, verses 3 and 4, and Isaiah, chapter 14, verses 7 to 17. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand with me today to honor the reading of God's holy word. First of all, in Jude... Verses 3 and 4. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now down in verse 8 and 9, he says, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. And then back in Isaiah chapter 14, I'd like to begin reading in verse 7. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee, and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since thou art laid down, no feller is come up against us. Verse 9 says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. And they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy vials, the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? Father, we thank you so very much, Lord, first of all and above all, We thank you for the confidence that we can have in knowing today. Lord, that 
we belong to you. We thank you, Lord, for reaching down and saving our unworthy souls. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit that you've placed within us. We thank you for your word that has been preserved for us. And Father, now as we gather together here, we thank you, Lord, for this place that you have given us to meet in and for this church family that you have brought together, that you're building in this place. And Father, as we gather on this, the Lord's Day, to worship you, Lord, we pray, first of all, that, Lord, that you would help us, that if there are things that would distract us, things that would draw our minds away, that those things would be put aside. And that as the songwriter says, we return our eyes upon Jesus. Father, we pray that as we gather here today, Lord, that you will have been honored and glorified by, Lord, the words that have been spoken, the songs that have been sung, the prayers that have been prayed. And now, Father, as we look to this most important part of the service, Lord, the preaching of your word, we realize that we do not need a sermon from man. But, Father, we need most desperately your anointing. We need to know that we have been spoken to from you. Father, would you... Bring this word that you have preserved for us through the power of your spirit. Would you bring these words alive into our hearts? Father, may we be receptive to that which you have for us this day. Father, in some way, could you take and meet the needs and speak to each heart? Lord, the lost that need to be saved, the backslider that needs to be restored, the Christian that needs to be encouraged, strengthened, maybe challenged here today. Father, would you do the work in our hearts that is needful? May we all leave this place today in some way a bit more like our Savior than when we entered. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we continue in our series on contending for the faith, the 31st sermon in this series, of course, the first half a dozen, we looked at the necessity of how important that it is to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And since then, we have been looking at what it is that we are to contend for. What is the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints? And of course, we said that there are fundamentals of the faith, the very foundation of our faith, those things that God has delivered to us in his word, the foundation that all of our Christian life is built upon. We need to contend for those things no matter what. They can't change. There are other things that are important to us, other things that folks will disagree with us on, but... Well, there are certain fundamentals that we must in the Christian faith be in agreement. And we as individuals and as a church must be willing not to compromise these issues, to stand and to contend. And of course, we find as we look and we remind ourselves of that command that's given to us in the book of Jude, we find that part of that contending is not just with other people. But we find there that as we looked into verse 8 and 9, that there are those that literally, that they are going to be contaminated in their own fleshes, but also 
are going to speak evil things of dignitaries, of the high powers. And we see there in verse 9 that even Michael the archangel, he was not contending with man, but contending, the Bible says, with the devil. He had a fight on his hands with the devil himself in disputing over the body of Moses. But we find that even Michael the archangel did not fight that battle in his own strength. But it said, yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. I know that as we lead up to Christmas, that it may seem an unusual sermon to be preaching this time of year. I, I was thinking earlier, I'm going to tell my age if I'm not careful. In literally nearly 40 years of preaching now and over 30 since surrendering to full-time ministry, I have never, ever, one time in all of that time found it easy to preach on the subject that we're going to be looking at today. Never. But it is necessary. Today we're going to be looking at the thought, the truth about Satan. You see, the fact is in our Christian life, there are some things that we must need and know and understand and agree on concerning this great enemy that we have, Satan himself. But I want you in the beginning, as we'll come back to these things, to keep in mind that even as we're instructed to contend for this faith, and even as we're told about contending with Satan, that even the archangel himself, when he fought, when he contended with the devil, he had to do it in the Lord's name. You and I alone cannot fight this battle. We also saw that in 2 Corinthians, in the passage that we read there in chapter 2 and verse 11, of course we find here that if you read these verses in the context that they're given, notice that he said in verse 10, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now the truth is, yes, Michael the archangel contended with the devil, but he had to rebuke him in the name of the Lord. Here we find that the Bible is speaking about the importance in our Christian lives, here particularly on this matter of forgiveness, that if we are not walking in our Christian lives as we ought to, he's showing us that it's possible to give an advantage to Satan, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You see, God gives us instruction. We need not be ignorant. And I say, as I have told you many times before, <clears throat> as a child of God, you need not fear 
Satan. The humorous little story was told about two six-year-olds that were really struggling with the problem of the existence of devil. One boy looked at the other little boy and he said, oh, there isn't any devil. The other was really upset and he was shocked and he looked at him and he said, what do you mean there isn't any devil? It talks about him all through the Bible. The other one looked and said, oh, that's not true, you know. It's really just like Santa Claus. The devil turns out to be your dad. <laughs> there are many today that do not believe in a literal devil existing in this world. That may not would surprise us so much when we're speaking of unbelievers, but even those that claim to be born-again Christians but yet are not firmly grounded in the truths of the Word of God we find that sometimes it's amazing what they can believe. In his book that provides statistical analysis for some of the religious beliefs, George Barna cites some pretty fascinating uh, facts in his survey. He says, the devil or Satan is not a living being but is a symbol of evil. Whereas he's not a real person, he's just symbolic of the evil things. And then asking that segment of his survey to respond to this, who have identified themselves as born-again Christians, do you agree strongly, agree somewhat, or disagree somewhat, or disagree strongly with this statement? Do you agree with it? Do you disagree with it? Do you agree with it strongly, or you do, do you disagree with it strongly? That statement again, the devil or Satan is not a living being, but is a symbol of evil. Amongst the born-again population that was asked this question, they replied with 32% agreeing strongly with that statement. That's like a third of the people that they talked to. Another 11% agreed somewhat with it. 5% didn't know what they believed. They weren't sure about the situation at all. So that's like 48% of those surveyed that claim to be born-again Christians either agreed that Satan is only symbolic or that they didn't know if he was real or not. That's nearly half the people that were surveyed. What kind of percentages do you think that would be if, if he was polling the non-believers? It's the believers, the ones that will gladly speak out and say, yes, I'm a born-again Christian. Yet, I'm not so sure Satan's a real person at all. The fact of the matter is that many believers and non-believers alike Propose that Satan is not a real person, that he's just some influence, that he merely is representative of evil principles in this world. And of course, we can very easily see that portrayed many times in the comic type figures that they make of him with his 
red outfit and his horn sticking up and his pitchfork in hand and he's, he's ready to tackle the world. I want to make a rather different proposal to you today. See, what the unbelieving world believes in relation to our faith, to be quite honest, is simply irrelevant anyway. After all, if they believed the truth, they wouldn't be unbelievers. Why should we believe anything else, they say? I propose that if we are to accept, as we have already looked at in our fundamentals, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we must just as surely accept the person of Satan based upon the testimony of God's Word. I know that some of these things are not easy for us necessarily to completely understand in our little finite minds. See, there are others that would propose that Satan is not only real, they believe that he's a real person, but that he is the direct cause of every sin committed. What do you think? Do you think that's true? Be careful. There's so many times we can kind of uh, answer without thinking. We need to make sure that we don't leave our brain in neutral when we go charging forward with our answers, particularly when we're dealing with spiritual matters. I have a, a name for that idea that I simply call it the devil made me do it syndrome. You ever heard of it? <laughs> Everything they want to blame on the devil. It wasn't really my fault that I committed that sin. The devil made me do it. Well, I believe that's about as false as any idea can possibly be. Matter of fact, I would say that the devil has never made anybody do anything. He's made a whole lot of suggestions and he brings a whole lot of temptation along. But folks, you made your own choice just as I have. Every sin that we have ever committed, we chose to sin. We weren't forced to sin. God certainly knows force any man to sin. And Satan doesn't have that power in your life. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us clearly that it's from the human, listen, fallen heart that human sin comes. Man fell in the Garden of Eden, and because of that fall, we're quite capable of all the sin we ever commit. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 to 7, a story you probably learned in Sunday school. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, 
for it repenteth me that I have made them. Boy, aren't you glad the next verse is there too, though? But Noah, what did he find? He found what? He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Just as surely today, the Bible says, for by what? Grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. You see, only by God's glorious grace in the days of Noah, Noah found grace. Those inside the ark of safety were saved from God's righteous judgment upon the sins of man. Only by that same glorious grace can you or any other human being be saved from God's righteous judgment upon your sin. Truth is, you must take responsibility for your own sin rather than trying to blame it on someone else. Your ark of safety is Jesus Christ himself. That's the only place that you'll find the protection against God's righteous judgment, folks. You see, man had become so evil in his own sin that God had no alternative but to destroy it. By God's grace, eight people, eight people were saved because they were inside the ark. We don't fully comprehend the evilness of man's heart. Matter of fact, most of us, because the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things, most of us don't realize how evil that we are. Most of us don't realize what we are capable of in our flesh, without God on the scene. Look with me into the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark chapter 7. Notice what the Word of God says. Picking up in verse 18. Mark chapter 7, verse 18, And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the drought, purging all meats. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. From, from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. We are all guilty of looking on the outside. We can see when people do things wrong that we don't think they should be doing. 
But what we need to grasp and understand is, folks, sin, the evil, that it comes from the heart of us. It comes from the very core of our being. Because of our fall into sin. Look in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and notice... Picking up in verse 13, he says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when the devil draws him away, right? No, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and is enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Started with the very first happy married couple in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? Eve was there and she was tempted of Satan and she chose to take of that fruit. She took it back and she tempted Adam with that same thing and he chose to take that bite. Here comes God along and he's talking to Adam and what does Adam first say? Well, it was Eve's fault. <laughs> She's the one that did it. You know, one of the hardest things in an individual coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is coming to recognize themselves in the genuine sinful condition that they're in, taking responsibility for their own sin. Folks, we have a great enemy. And I believe the Word of God teaches us that we need, we must know and understand that enemy not a bunch of false ideas and assumptions because that we've, we've heard it. But I'm saying just like on every other of these fundamentals that we've talked about, it needs to be based upon what God reveals to us in His Word. Don't just know what you believe. Know why you believe it. That's the only way that you'll ever truly be willing to contend for it, to fight for it, to stand upon it, no matter what anybody else says or does. Find that I'm telling you right up front. Today I'm just introducing you to him. Almost didn't do that. Almost thought, well, you know, I really, I really don't want to go there at Christmas. <laughs> well, it's not Christmas yet. The truth is. Maybe God wants you to remember a few things as we go into the Christmas season. He'll certainly be there to tempt you. To maybe try to draw you away into things that you ought not to be involved in and ought not to be a part of any kind of Christmas celebration. But the reality is, is that as I introduce you to him today, I want you to realize, as with all of these other topics, folks, we're not going to be doing an entire doctrinal study on the person of Satan. 
And in two or three sermons, I, you know, I'm always honest with you. I don't know. However many it takes us to get through, we're not going to cover all of those details in minute detail anyway. But as we go there, I do want to attempt to draw from God's Word those necessary truths that in a day when there is so much error and compromise that you can see clearly. There is a fundamental issue concerning this one called Satan. There is a fundamental of the faith that we need to understand and accept and reveal the person of Satan for who he is. I'm also, sometimes we're almost shy to approach some subjects. You see, I say this, I realize that I have, yes, brothers and sisters in Christ that one day I will enjoy their fellowship in heaven. But I know that I have some of those brothers and sisters in Christ out there that will walk the streets of glory with someday that I don't feel comfortable with some of the things that they teach. And I don't feel comfortable with some of the styles of their worship. They're still my brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, I know that there are some that see a demon or a devil under every rock. No matter what is wrong with a person, whether it's some sin that they continually commit, some horrible habit, whatever, well, they're possessed of a devil, they're possessed of a demon. Preacher, do you believe that? Well, yes, I believe people can be possessed of demons and devils. God tells us a lot about it in his word. I believe there's an awful lot of people that are possessed today that don't realize it. But I'll tell you this, and I don't have time to go into all the reasons for it, and I can't take you to a chapter and a verse, but I believe that if you study about what we preached on last Sunday, which was nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ, that you'll come to agree with me on this. I believe that it is totally, completely, utterly impossible for a child of God to be possessed by a demon or a devil. They can be oppressed. They can be attacked. Folks, I want to tell you something. They, nor the devil himself, have the power to get through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what sealed me. Jesus Christ himself shed his precious blood. We know that the Bible says that one of the reasons when Jesus left to take his place at the right hand of the Father, he sent that one called the Holy Spirit. And there's a whole lot of false error preached about him today too. You know one thing I know for sure, he lives within me as a child of God. And the Bible says that he left me to seal me until that day of redemption. Folks, there's a lot of false teaching and false errors, but that doesn't mean that you run away from the subject matter, whether it be the Holy Spirit, whether it be demons and devils and those things. Now remember it at this time. Here's exactly what we say about Satan in our statement of faith, which is what if you're a member of faith of, of Bethel Free Baptist Church, that you're supposed to agree with this. He says, we say, we believe in a personal devil 
Satan, who is presumptuous, proud, powerful, wicked, malignant, subtle, deceitful, religious, and fierce. He was cast out of heaven and is now prince of the air and this world system. He calls the fall of man, is his constant adversary, and seeks to beguile, tempt, accuse, and devour him. He opposes the work of God, hinders the gospel, and works lying miracles and wonders. He has already been judged and someday will be cast into the lake of fire to be tormented day and night forever and ever. We say that as a congregation that we need to be in agreement on those things. Now some think it's a subject to be avoided. A subject that will only either bring fear or cause people to feel uncomfortable. Not a very soothing topic to listen to. I say to you today that in understanding these truths, first of all, it will not have that effect on a true believer. There is nothing to fear if you have truly been washed in the blood of that lamb that we talked about last week. Now, on the other hand, you've not been washed in the precious blood of the lamb. May I say to you today, according to the word of God, I introduce you today to your father, whose name is Satan. He is either your enemy or your father. There is nowhere else to be, folks. Nowhere whatsoever. And whichever the case, these truths are of the utmost importance to us. I think that it's safe to say that the only ones who would doubt the existence of Satan are those that are under his influence, and therefore already deceived by him. When we look at the truth about Satan, after we come back in the new year, we're going to look at five things that I want to try to break this down so that you can understand who he is and the fight that we've got to fight. We're going to look at his person, his position, his purpose, his power, and his providence. And then after we look at that, we're going to come back and look at one sixth thing, which is your protection. You see, all of these things are touched upon, even in the passage that we read there from Isaiah chapter 14 earlier. Now I want you to notice, and again, we're running out of time already. In verses 7 and 8 here, Notice that it's speaking of the joy of the kingdom, the joy of the millennium, if you would. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing, yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee, and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since thou art laid down, no failure has come up against us. 
this time of perfect peace and harmony upon this earth. Millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, notice as it picks up in verses 9 through 11, that he's speaking of that one that will be put away at the beginning of that millennial kingdom after coming through the tribulation period, which we've already looked at all these things in the second coming of the Lord in recent months. Notice he says here, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations, and they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? They're speaking to Satan, to the beast here. Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy vials, the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. Speaking of the beast, that'll be on the scene during that seven years of tribulation, and folks, remember, the beast is the devil incarnate. Now, when Jesus Christ came as God incarnate to this earth, did God the Father cease to exist? No. I assure you, the devil can have control as he will the beast and the false prophet. But that doesn't mean the devil himself isn't existing. As a matter of fact, we know from our studies that the beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire when? At the beginning of the millennial kingdom. While Satan himself is bound during that time for a thousand years in the pit. But at the end of that, he joins them in the lake of fire, which the Bible says, well, they've already been for a thousand years, the Bible says. They've been there for a thousand years before the devil is even cast in there. But as we look at those things, notice then, as we begin in verse 12, notice the Bible leaves no question who this question is being asked of. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? You see, first of all, we see his person. How art thou? Who is the thou fallen from heaven? O Lucifer, son of the morning. That's who we're talking about, folks. And of course... The verse goes on then as he speaks specifically to Lucifer. How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? See, he's fallen from heaven. The Bible says he is cut down to the ground. Of course, that's the scene right there that's following what we studied in Revelation 19, 20, Satan's incarnation in the beast. We find here that it speaks of his power, the one that weakened the nations, the Bible says. Notice in verse 13 and 14, For thou hast set in thine heart, who? Lucifer, the devil, Satan. This is what he thought of himself. You see, we, we see his purpose here in his own eyes. We find that it says, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be 
like the most high. Oh, in his own eyes, he's got a, a great purpose for himself. Be equal to and even greater. He knows who God Almighty is, but his aspirations are to reach those heights himself. But notice what verse 15 says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Brought down to hell. You find that this is his providence. This is his destiny. This is God's plan for Satan. Oh, he will be brought down to sides. And of course, it says in verse 16 and 17, then they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man? Oh, he is a person. Is this the man that made the earth to tremble? That did shake kingdoms? That made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof? that opened not the house of his prisoners. And again, other things to look at there. But we know, we know that Satan himself, oh, he had all of his captives, captives in hell. But the Bible says that before Jesus Christ ascended, he descended first into the lower parts. <laughs> and he went to set the captives free. You see, Jesus Christ had to pay the price for their sins. Then they could be set free. In that place, we know that there was two sections of Hades at that time, the, the paradise side and the, and the side of torment. All those in the paradise side, they were set free. They were no longer part of Hades. They were able to sin on high with him. Listen, Satan is a powerful being. He made the earth to tremble. He shook the kingdoms. He made the world. He destroyed the cities. He held men captive in Hades. We have a genuine enemy on our hands today. Do you recognize your enemy for who he is? Can I ask you very, very very simply, do you recognize him as your enemy? For today, is this brief introduction a description of your father? See, you have a spiritual father today. But is it Satan or is it God in heaven? This service is about to become history. I want you to recognize today, yes, we will be looking in these weeks. We have a formidable enemy, a real battle on our hands. But we've already sung that song, which I chose specifically this morning. There's victory in Jesus, praise God. The victory is ours. And we want to look at these things and recognize these things. Folks, we don't have to shake and tremble at the thought of Satan today. 
But we need to recognize that he's going to be there and he is going to be trying to hinder and he is going to be deceiving and he is going to be tempting and we need to recognize him for who he is and for what he is and we need to stand up and fight against him in the only way that we can and that's with God and his word and his power. If you're here and you're lost and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, you best believe that Satan has one desire for you and that's to keep you blinded, to keep you deaf, to keep you from hearing and understanding and accepting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that can change your life. He wants you to be deceived that he may take you with him for all of eternity. And you best believe if you're here and you're a child of God today that he wants to hinder you, he wants to discourage you, he wants to knock you down, he wants to keep you from being effective. He doesn't want anybody else to see Jesus in your life. Because folks, all the good you can do will never change one individual. God has left you here for a purpose that your life can count for something. How many times have I said, if God didn't have a reason for you being here, I don't care who you are. If you're here and you're saved and you're a child of God, you'd be far better off in heaven than you are here. But God still got you here. And you're here for a reason. And I declare unto you that there is no reason more important in all of this world than that Jesus Christ be seen in your life, that you be a witness, that you be a living testimony, that you be the light and the salt that he left you here to be. Satan wants to stop that. So we want to recognize you're our enemy. If you're here and he's got you deceived, you've never come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, then I can only invite you. If he's allowing you to recognize your sinfulness and your need today, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You can keep procrastinating. You can keep putting it off. You can keep meaning to do it at some point in the future. Today is the day. Today, Christian, devil been beating up on you a bit. He's been throwing things in your life that, boy, you could just do without. He's just doing his job. Don't worry. He'll keep trying. <laughs> He's not going to give up. But the victory is yours in Jesus Christ. You don't have to let him win. You don't have to give in. The Bible says he can get an advantage of you. Thank God he can never take you. He can never, ever pluck you out of the Lord's hand. But he can sure beat you down and get you discouraged. He can sure take away all your joy and your fellowship. I'm saying today, recognize your enemy, Christian, and know that the victory is yours in Jesus Christ. Yes, it can be hard sometimes, but the victory is yours all. I could turn, but I won't because the clock says it's time to go. I'd love to turn and read Romans 8 again right now. <laughs> nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God.